Please turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. It's on page 874 in the Bibles around you. Luke chapter 15, and we'll be starting in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, that's Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost, my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins... If she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and diligently and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of heaven over one sinner who repents. And he said, There is a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come back, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he's received him back safe and sound. 
But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let's pray. Oh God, we come to you now. And we reflect on so many ways that we've been like this son. We've been wayward and lost and, and you've sought us out. You've forgiven us so quickly. Lord God, I ask that through the preaching of your word today that your lost sheep would hear your voice, that you would find those that are lost and bring them back to yourself. And so we pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Last month, I preached on the parable of the sower, uh, which is a parable about the different types of soils or hearts that respond to the seed of God's word. As I talked with some of you after the service, uh, the parable uh, has always been a heavy one for, uh, for some of you because, because of the loved ones in your life who have fallen away from the faith. The parable of the sower speaks to those who initially receive the word of God, but then the, the cares of the world, the pleasures of life, maybe suffering or other beliefs or other priorities, uh, then uh, turn the person away from the faith. The parable ends there. And, and Jesus doesn't nuance about whether or not those who once receive the faith, after, after they fall away, if they could ever return again. Jesus doesn't go into those details. Well, as we know about uh, parables, they're, they're not meant to teach everything about everything. And so Jesus taught other parables to fill out his teachings about the kingdom of God. And here in Luke 15, we see that Jesus gives us great hope for those who have fallen away from the faith. He gives us a hope that rests not in ourselves and not in those of our, those loved ones who, have, who, who are lost, but He gives us a hope that rests in the heart of God to pursue His lost children to the ends of the earth and rescue them. So sometimes... Those who appear to be found go lost again. But sometimes those who are lost, even in the darkest, most dangerous places of the world, sometimes even they are found, restored, and never leave the faith again. So this morning, we're going to consider these three parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. They're all connected together. And they have a similar flow in their storyline, as I'm sure you noticed. They're all a part of Jesus' response to a criticism of the Pharisees. Uh, we see their criticism in verses 1 and 2. Here we see that the, the tax collectors and sinners um, have uh, gathered around Jesus, and, and, he, and he's talking with them, and he's eating with them. 
And uh, these these uh, you know these tax collectors these were hated by the Jews because uh, they they were they were considered thieves for what they for what they did, and they were also considered traitors because they were just sellouts to the Romans. Uh, the apostle Matthew was a tax collector, so maybe some of these Pharisees saw Matthew and was like, "What what are you doing, Jesus, with with people like that?" Uh, it's also mentioned that there's the, there's sinners, those who are known lawbreakers and rejects of society. Uh, perhaps some of them there were prostitutes. Throughout Jesus' ministry, we see him continually reaching out to these people, even eating with them, which was a cultural sign of acceptance and association. But the Jewish religious leaders, the Pharisees and scribes, they were always appalled at this. Now, this wasn't the first time that they had complained about Jesus doing this. Verse 2 says, They grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, obviously, what they're saying is true. Jesus did welcome sinners and eat with them. But they are saying this as a critique of Jesus. Now, even, even though they hadn't made that comment directly to him, uh, Jesus responded to them, just right on the spot with three stories, three parables. And these parables serve not only to give us hope, but they also serve as an indictment against the Pharisees and those like the Pharisees who want to slam sinners with the law and punish them and exclude them regardless of repentance. So now we'll, we'll walk through each of these parables. Now, but we're going to split the parable of the prodigal son into two halves because the second half of it is unique and it will bring us uh, back full circle uh, to the critique of the Pharisees. Let's start in verses 3 through 7 with the parable of the lost sheep. Here we see that a shepherd with 100 sheep has lost one. Jesus appeals to the common sense of his hearers that, that this shepherd would go out searching for his sheep until he finds it. When the shepherd does find it, he joyfully picks it up, puts it on his shoulders, and returns home, sharing, the, sharing his joy with everyone. Then in verse 7, Jesus applies this parable, saying, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. This parable is short but sweet. The shepherd here is a picture of Jesus who called himself the good shepherd as we had read earlier in John 10. He viewed his people as his sheep and he taught that he had sheep that were not yet of his fold that he needed to go and get. In Luke 19 verse 10, Jesus shares that this is one of the purposes for why he came from heaven. He said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This was the mission of Jesus, and this mission, it grew out of the promise of God back in Ezekiel chapter 34, which we read, when God promised, saying, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. I myself. God is the searcher of sheep. And Jesus is God. He is a member of the Godhead. Uh, he is doing the, the searching of the sheep. And, and he, 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 he does that primarily through his death on the cross. And what 
he does there on the cross then gets applied by his Holy Spirit to his people throughout the ages. His search for his people, it knows no boundaries. Danger is not a boundary to Jesus. Social stigmas are not a boundary. Finances are not a boundary. Social statuses are not a boundary. Sinful histories are not a boundary. Ethnicity is not a boundary. Gender is not a boundary. Satan is not a boundary. Oppressive governments are not a boundary. There are no boundaries that can hold Jesus back from pursuing and finding his lost sheep. And as his church, Jesus ordinarily works through us to pursue and find his sheep. We go where he wants us to go. And that might mean going to some difficult or uncomfortable or even some far off places. Or it might mean just going next door or talking to your coworker. Let's get used to going through boundaries to reach God's lost sheep. One of the most beautiful pictures in this particular parable is this, is this picture of, of how Jesus places us upon himself as a burden. And how great a burden our sin was upon him. When Jesus placed us upon himself, it says in Isaiah 53 that the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. How great was our burden on him and how great was the wrath of God poured on him. And yet, Jesus bore us with joy. As it says in Hebrews 12, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. We were Christ's joyful burden. And notice how he he carries us the whole way home. He doesn't find us and then just angrily kicks us and hits us and forces us to go back home on our own strength. Now he holds us and guarantees with his own strength that we will make it home. No one can steal the sheep from him. And the sheep can't jump out of his firm grasp either, even though we often try to do that, don't we? In John 10, Jesus promised that this will never happen. He said, I give my sheep eternal life. They will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. This is the heart of Christ for wayward sinners. Philip Ryken summarizes this parable beautifully saying, Every lost sinner who rests on the crucified Christ will be carried home safe to God. Jesus then shares another parable that's very similar to the first, using the exact same language at times. But this parable is about a woman who has lost one of her ten coins. Jesus likely had women in his audience, and, and so he told this parable about a woman to better engage them with his teaching. Uh, something that rabbis of his time rarely did, uh, if ever. So they rarely engaged with women in, in their teachings. The woman in this parable, is, is she's likely poor because she only has ten coins. And these are ten drachmas. A drachma was equivalent to a day's wages. So she's lost a tenth of her money, and now she only has nine days of work money. 
Uh, and I, I, I don't know about you, but I don't think that would last very long. What has been lost is of great value to her. And so she lights a lamp and searches nonstop until she finds it. And she too rejoices in finding it, and her joy is contagious. She just has to share the good news with her friends and neighbors. And then Jesus ends this parable in the same way he did with the first by proclaiming that there is joy in heaven over sinners who repent. Jesus' implied argument is this. If you would search diligently for a lost coin and rejoice when it's found, how much more so should you search and rejoice over lost people who are found? And if, if the angels in heaven and if God himself are rejoicing over one sinner who, who repents, then shouldn't you rejoice as well? Brothers and sisters, do we share in this joy? Is God's joy our joy? Are we eager to hear of the lost being saved? Do we welcome and embrace them no matter what they look like, no matter what they've done? When you think about your enemies or certain politicians or celebrities or wicked leaders in other countries, do you long for and pray for their repentance? Would it be your joy to see them converted? Or are you just kind of eagerly waiting for their judgment? Brothers and sisters, this is, that, that's not the heart of God. Three times in the book of Ezekiel, God says, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? So three times in Ezekiel, God says that. And it's the same in the New Testament. In 1 Timothy 2, verse 4, Paul says that God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Do we have this heart of God in our own hearts? Do we share in this desire to see the wicked come to repentance and faith? Is his joy our joy? Now we come to the third parable in verse 11. The parable of the prodigal son, the climax of the three. This is one of Jesus' most famous parables and, and perhaps the most loved. That's, it's really not hard to see why. It's passionate and personal. What's lost is it's not a thing or an animal, it's a person. And, and, and the relationship between a father and a son is broken and then restored. It's beautiful. The parable begins with a man who has two sons. The younger of the two does something shocking. He demands his inheritance from his father. Now, according to Old Testament law, since he was the younger of two sons, he would receive a third of his father's property. But ordinarily, that would be after the father's death. What the son is asking for here was, was shameful and insulting and, and unthinkable. Because in essence, he's telling his father, uh, I'm going to treat you like you're dead. I'd rather have your wealth than you, and I can't wait around for you to die. Philip Ryken put it this way. Here was a young man who wanted what his father, law, father could give him, but he did not want his father himself. 
This is what it means for us to be lost. It means not loving the Father. It means putting demands on God without desiring God Himself. It means wanting His gifts without loving Him as the giver. Well, despite this being a slap in the face, the father gives his younger son his inheritance. The son then quickly liquidates it and heads out to another country far, far away. He then squanders and wastes it all on a wild, hedonistic lifestyle. And this is why the son is called a prodigal. The prodigal son. The word prodigal means spending resources wastefully, recklessly, or lavishly. So he was foolishly indulging himself with no self-control whatsoever. Perhaps he went off to a far country uh, so that he could live a wild lifestyle without being recognized by anyone. Now we can kind of be like that too, can't we? We tend to be our worst selves when we're around no one who knows who we are, when we're around people who don't know who we are. Anonymous blog comments, internet debates, how we treat those customer service people when we have a complaint, driving in traffic, going off to college alone, business trips. When we're around others who don't know who we are, the temptation to act ungodly multiplies. We need to be aware of that. And we, we need to be on guard about these things. Well, the younger son, he burns through all of his inheritance. And on top of that, a uh, famine strikes the land, as we see in verse 14. His wild lifestyle is over. So in desperation, he hires himself out to one of the most shameful vocations that a Jewish person could imagine, a pig feeder. Pigs were unclean animals, uh, according to the law. Uh, but uh, but the young, younger son, he obviously didn't have any other options. He was so dirt poor that he couldn't, he couldn't afford any food. But he longed to eat the pig food. Now that's low. So here he is in a dirty pigsty, longing to eat like an unclean pig. And it's at this lowest point that he comes to his senses. No one is explicitly mentioned here as pursuing the son, but after the first two parables, and, and, and after we see the other teachings of Scripture, we know that behind the scenes, working in the heart and mind of this young man, was God himself pursuing him and bringing him to his senses and to repentance. We see his repentance in verses 17 through 19. He says, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. The son, the son sees his sin for what it is. I mean, he calls it sin. He owns up. He, says, he sees his sin in both vertical and horizontal dimensions. That, that, that when we sin, we've sinned not only against other people, but we've sinned against God himself. And he acknowledges that, that his sin deserves a just punishment. 
that he truly is no longer worthy to be called or, or treated as his father's son. But rather, he deserves to be treated like a slave. These are all marks of genuine repentance. And so, with his change of mind, the son heads home. And now, we come to the most dramatic and shocking parts of the parable. Arguably, one of the most beautiful pictures, I think, of any story ever. I know that's saying a lot, but I think it's that beautiful. Verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Before the son can even say anything, the father, this this wealthy man, puts all dignity aside and he lifts up his robe and he runs to him, hugging him and kissing him. These are signs of acceptance and love and forgiveness. The father was quick to forgive despite the magnitude of how he was sinned against. The younger son confesses his sin to him and says that he no longer deserves to be his son. But the father's already forgiven and forgotten. He restores him to his honor as his son, giving him the best robe, sandals, and a ring. And then you could say that the father becomes the prodigal father. (laughs) He throws a huge and lavish celebration and he treats everyone to the fattened calf at the feast. His joy is boundless over his son's repentance. Now, Jesus could have ended the parable there in a similar way to the previous two parables, but he doesn't. He has a story about the response of the older brother to this celebration. And in doing so, Jesus brings the parable back full circle to the critique of the Pharisees. Because as you'll see, the Pharisees are the older brother. In verses 25 and following, we see that the older brother comes in from working in the field when he sees and hears the celebration, when he finds out that his brother has returned, and that this celebration is for him, he does not respond with his father's joy. He responds with jealousy and anger. He refuses to go into the party, and so his father comes out to him. The older brother criticizes his dad, saying, Look, these many years I've served you, and I never disobeyed your command. You, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Here we see that the older brother is also lost. He's lost, and yet it's in a different sense than his younger brother. The elder brother is lost because he thinks that he deserves a good life from his father because of his obedience. He thinks he's always obeyed. The younger brother is lost in a different sense because he squanders everything that his father gave him in the first place. And when he repents, he doesn't think that he deserves to be a son. Both brothers think think that their father should treat his sons as they deserve. The younger thinks that he deserves to be demoted to a servant. And the older brother thinks that he deserves at least equal treatment to his brother, if not far greater. 
Neither brother, however, is prepared for grace. Neither brother is prepared for joy. And neither were the Pharisees. The Pharisees saw these tax collectors and sinners and they despised them for what they've done. They wanted the law to condemn them and to separate them as outsiders and their repentance wouldn't mean a thing because of their past. The Pharisees did not know the heart of God for repentant, undeserving sinners. They did not know His joy in giving grace, mercy, and forgiveness to His enemies. They only knew and desired what the law demanded, to give people what they deserve. R.C. Sproul, Sproul put it well when he said this, No one will ever get into the Father's house by pleading their own worthiness. Only those who acknowledge their unworthiness will get there. And so how do we respond to this parable? Will you let the gospel of God's joy in forgiveness and grace transform the way that you come to Him or the way that you treat others? Will you let the Father's contagious joy spread to you? Will you join in His mission to the lost? I want to end by considering three ways that we can respond to God's gospel of joyful forgiveness. First, let's, let's do a self-check. Have you left the faith? Are you a wayward son or daughter? Are you in the process of turning your back on God to give the world a try? I can guarantee you that, that you will find it to be as empty in joy as a pigsty. Come back to the Father. You will receive His warm embrace. For others of us here, ask yourself this question. Am I being tempted to go back to living the prodigal life that I used to live? Have I forgotten that the, the promises and love are, of God are far better than my old life? Some of the Israelites in the wilderness wanted to go back to Egypt just so they could eat meat. Remember that? So let's not fall into the same temptation that they did. Second, let's let the gospel of God's grace change how we show mercy, grace, and forgiveness to others. Do you treat people as they deserve or better than they deserve? Do you treat people for who they are in God's sight or do you just treat them for what they do? and what they deserve. When someone asks for forgiveness, do you embrace their repentance and forgive them and treat them in love and goodwill? Or do you always kind of keep that tally back there and, and uh, slowly build a uh, distrust and, and begin to create separation between you and them? And parents, do you treat your children only as they deserve or according to grace? Do you rejoice in their repentance? Are you, are you able to have rules and yet have a culture of grace, forgiveness, and love that's able to supersede how your children have disobeyed in the past? And third, 
Let's let God's mission of seeking and saving the lost, let's let that be our mission. Are you afraid of associating with unbelievers and and people who are really different than you or people who are especially rough around the edges? Would you be willing to open up your home or your time or your wallet to these people? And for those of you here who have have close family members and friends who have left the faith, have you lost hope that they will ever return? Can you remind yourself regularly that Jesus is the good shepherd who pursues his sheep and commit to praying regularly for him to bring back your loved ones? Can you commit to that? God hears us when we call to him. And as we've seen, he will not be stopped in his pursuit of his children until they are all home. So be fervent in prayer. So let's pray now unto that end. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your joy and your love that we've seen here in these pictures, these parables, these stories. Oh Lord, we... We can't wait for that day when we'll be able to see you face and fa- face to face and and uh, experience your your embrace, Lord. And Lord, we acknowledge right now that our, our hearts are heavy as we consider our uh, lost family members and friends, those who once seemed to to be walking with you and and now they've gone astray, Lord. And we ask. Lord God, that you would pursue them soon and quickly, Lord. That you would restore them back to back to yourself, Lord. Oh, Lord, convict them by your Holy Spirit. Bring them to their senses, oh God. Help them to see the emptiness of this world and the richness of what's at home with their Heavenly Father. Lord God, we ask that we would be a church that is ready to welcome people back with open arms, Lord. Lord, may we be people who are quick to forgive, quick to rejoice. Lord, we ask that you would help us to receive your grace and and also to give grace in return. Lord, it can feel so right to just treat people as they deserve. But Lord, we ask that we would demonstrate and, and, and let this gospel of grace Uh, influence how we treat other people, even people who have wronged us terribly. And Lord God, as we go from here, Lord, may we be, may we share in your mission to seek and save the lost. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Amen.